Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Hiya, welcome to the show. This is the Jesse March welcome special. Are we going for Marsh, March? I think he says Marsh. Cool. Happy to go with what he thinks. And I think he's a little bit of... <laughs> which is the old uh, Switzerland, isn't it, CH? Yep, this is um, brought to you by Levi Solicitors. 10% off your legal fees at levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Um, check out the video if you're listening to the audio version. Vice versa as well. Add us to your podcast app. Dan, Michael, and Moscow has returned after having a, a tearful weekend in the Moscow bunker penning articles about Marcelo Bielsa and his sacking. So we've not heard from you on this yet. So come on then, take the floor. The floor? Yes. What do you think about it? I mean, I mean, I know you, you expressed your feelings through various articles that went out on the website, which I would definitely point you to. If you haven't yet read them, some excellent summaries on there of how Moscow feels, and I think it reflects how a lot of people feel. Um, can't say everybody. No, I mean, it wouldn't. It's only me, and, you know, hopefully it's a good read, whether you agree with it or not. But I think overall, it's probably going to work, isn't it? In the end, I think Marsh will keep us up and probably play some... Exciting football and pretty good to watch. And next season can start buying players and improving the team and could well be the person to take the club further towards. Um, mid-table, yes. Well, mid-table, yeah. I mean, next <laughs> season is supposed to be, as Radrizani said, that's where we, we draw the line and we start building towards being this European club with 60,000 fans in the stadium. He could well be. I think it probably will all work. It seems fine. From that point of view, I still think it's been a bad decision for a few reasons because I think Bielsa would have kept us up as well. I don't think what was necessary between now and the end of the season was beyond him mm. to fix. It's funny because we've mulled it over just on that particular point and we chatted, didn't we, around speaking to John Richardson on the other show. I was saying I I felt that I fall that side of the line. I think he would have done just enough to keep us up, but it would have been a little bit hairy. And you were kind of thinking... Not too sure. But then again, you, you do always, been, always ver on the side of pessimism, don't you? I was going to say, that's that's the way my brain works. In my in my mind, Burnley and Newcastle are going to probably get about 30 points between now and the end of the season and Everton will pick up and Brentford will start winning again. Ev basically, and, everybody will pick up except oh, us. Yeah, everyone. Yeah. There's going to be a gap of like 20 points between us and <laughs> us and safety in, in, in my mind. I th it would have been close. I mean, the week before playing Spurs, which I, I, I kind of went through 
all the results of all the teams down there and I had us just about staying up and I indeed did have us down for zero points against Spurs. Yeah. So in some ways, nothing had changed. But it, I don't know, the goals we conceded and seeing that Spurs were actually quite terrible other than Harry Kane doing some some really good stuff, it did worry me. I think it had been touch and go, and it's still, and I, it still is going to be touch and go because we have no idea if this is going to work. If if we're a few games down the line and we've still not got any points, and there doesn't appear to have been any kind of new manager bounce, then we're pretty much knackered, aren't we? Mm. I mean, just on that, um, the sort of Spurs game, it felt to us like when we came in and did did the match ball that it hit the buffers. I think to some extent. What did you make of it, Moscow? I mean, we've been in some very hopeless places with Bielsa before, and pulled through he's always delivered on what we set out to do if you remember the derby how were we ever going to come back from that and then the promotion season when we won what was it two in 11 matches and we were conceding you know if you remember Birmingham away was you know thrilling but goals were flying in as easily as they have been over the last week and I think the the week Marsh has used the interesting word stress I think that's a good word for how it's been where you go from Scum, Liverpool, Spurs, and there was really no time in between those matches to do anything, was there? So we were just kind of sending the team out again, you know, almost without any time to recover from what had just happened to them. But with Marsh now, and he was talking about it as well, quite sensibly, that there's loads of time to sort the stress out and he will, he has the benefit of doing it. And I think, um, uh, well, not the benefit of doing it, he's got, he's got the pressure of doing it. And I don't think Bielsa's capabilities he could have done something about the situation we are in. So from that point of view, although I think, you know, Marsh will do it as well, what's happened by making the decision is lost an awful lot of goodwill. Lost all of it. I think and he's the shield, isn't he? Was the shield was Bielsa. Yep. So they're now out um, in front of the, the situation in a way that they previously weren't. And we've lost a lot about what was making the club special. And um, I also, I mean, this is probably just me on this, but, he clearly wasn't going to be staying at the end of the season, but I think it's a shame that, um, you know, if we'd had the full season of Calvin Phillips and Pat Bamford and things had gone differently and we had been eighth, ninth again, what would the conversation have been this May? Would it still have been we want to have a change and bring in Jesse Marsh or somebody else? Or would we have been... There was an opportunity with Bielsa because it generated that momentum of having him longer than any other club, of building something he had never been able to build anywhere else and I think it's a shame that um, what has if you boil this season down um, is kind of what's denied it is injuries have been the kicker and then the responses from there and you can you know pick every sort of decision along the way after that and how he's dealt with it is 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 a fair but those are the, the kind of the the key inciting moments that have started the fire that he's and been asked to put out and it would have been it's there for, it's a shame in that sense that we don't then get to say, you know, how far could we have gone on this crazy journey? So that's one reason why I think it's a, a, a bad decision is I think we could have obtained the same results without doing it. And then the second thing is the timing, which is the, you know, one of the things with Bielsa and his small squad, which he gets a lot of criticism for, it works for him. But one of the things that he's right to, uh, to, to discuss with it is that it doesn't work for everybody. Some people like a, a bigger squad, comes with its own problems, which, you know, Ralph Rangnick at Scum was saying, you know, I've got 30 idiots doing nothing all day. But by bringing Marsh in in March, nothing you can do about the squad. There's nothing you can do about the playing staff. We're essentially relying on him and 
John Toshak's son to do everything. And if back in January, the club had decided this isn't working, as Radrit Zani said, something is broken. If he'd said then, right, we need to change it now. Bielsa has to go and we need to spend money in the transfer market to give our new person the best chance possible, all the tools that you can give them to improve the season. I still would have disagreed with it, but I would have understood that. But what they seem to have done is spend all January backing Bielsa and deciding that he is going to be the right person to take us forward and then waited until it's a moment when we don't have as much ammunition or enough tools that we can use to solve the problem to then do something about it. Shut the bed at the wrong time. Well, that's it as well. And I think, that, so the third reason I don't like this decision is that it seems to have been done in panic. A couple of bad weeks, big, horrible score lines, horrible performances, and they've um, pulled the trigger. And, you know, January gone or summer to come, you can make a decision from a position of strength and you can do a lot more than just change the manager and all the staff who have left with him. And doing it now just feels like a panic and a gamble. When I was talking a lot about the the transfers during January and not signing a midfielder because it felt like they couldn't find the right one, I was talking a lot about how it's a gamble to do and it's a gamble to not, but the braver one would be to stick with one, stick with what you've got to not do uh, the obvious thing. And it feels like they did that. They stayed brave. They were like Bielsa. It was a big gamble when we brought him in and it's a gamble now to stick with him. But they've gambled at a point when they can't go. They don't have enough at this point to change. All they can change is the coach. And when that's all you can change, I don't know if you would necessarily look at the coach we've got and say somebody else can do better than him because it's that it's that one for one change. If it had been done in January when lots of things can change, um, I would maybe have understood it better. The counter-argument to that, I guess, is what was contained within Radrazani's video where he said something was broken, but he's also taken ownership of the situation and we also learned that they were planning to replace him this summer anyway. So those are the big takeaways from from that video. The one I just want to zero in on there is that something was broken, part of it, because is there an argument for a new voice, a different voice, just a different method within the club? Because that, that's kind of the, the subtext of saying something was broken in the club is is the, the idea that things were not quite working for the players anymore, rightly or wrongly, whether they've thrown him under the bus or not. I know there's been a lot of high feeling has been running around, hasn't it? Like, there's been a lot of emotion um, surrounding this. But if it has broken down, whether over time or suddenly or whatever that might be, if they've lost faith in it, does a different voice then help? It is sadly the modern way, isn't it, that you you can't sack 20 players, so you sack the manager. And it's if players have stopped trying for him, and particularly if they're players, which they basically all are, who have been with him since the start, then it is it is really sad yeah. because he's... Well, they owe him everything, don't exactly. they? He's made, he's made all of those players. He's turned them in from championship bums into Premier League midfielders and defenders and at levels we didn't think they had. And But I, I guess the other thing is, it's at the end of the day, if it isn't working and you're, you feel like you're being kind of thrown under a bus by the tactics you've been forced to play and you're just chasing Harry Kane and you're turning around and you're saying, I can't, I can't chase Harry Kane. He's he's too good. He just beats me every time. We need to do something different, and you, there's nothing different to do. I guess that's frustrating for you as well. It's it, it, it just hasn't worked in enough games this year, has it? Last year that we saw occasionally it was we were taken apart in games by, by good individual performances, but I guess the the balance has tipped where we there aren't enough good performances from us anymore, and there aren't the same 
we've seen glimpses of it, but there haven't been the same sweeping front back to front moves that we've seen in previous years, have there? Where no. people people have learned how to play against us because that's just the way football is, isn't all the, it? All the yeah. players have stopped doing it as well. Is the I mean, it's hard to know exactly what was what has happened there because it it did work last year, it undoubtedly did. We had a, an unbelievably good season, far beyond any expectation. But it's um yeah, it's just very it's very sad to watch how it has declined on the pitch this year because it, it undoubtedly has because the, the league table says it has and it feel it does feel like a, a bit of a breakdown but I suppose the, the change now comes as a way of saving it I suppose in a way of it doesn't if, if we do go down it does feel a bit like and I think there's been a bit of this attitude around is like well just tear the whole thing up we'll just go back to the championship and live in mid-table again and it's going to be shit forever it doesn't actually have to be like that and yeah. I, I know that's that's the feeling right now but I don't know it seems a sensible appointment and it's of an appointment they were obviously looking at making. And I do wonder if if they'd earmarked a manager who currently had a job, if they'd have just stuck with Bielsa. But the fact he was available now and they were going to probably employ him anyway, they've just thought, well, Bielsa's not staying anyway. It's not working now. The guy we want is available and willing to come now. Let's just do it now. Same to work now. So it, yeah. it makes a degree of sense, I suppose. But um, I mean, this is before we get onto the fact whether or not he's, he's actually good enough for it and what have you. But there's, we, well, there's logic there, but logic and emotion don't always no. you know, make good bedfellows do they and that's what this last few days has been it's been emotional hasn't it mm. been ridiculously so so yeah <laughs> it does feel really really sad but again you can see logical sense in it even if you don't agree with it I think one of the sadnesses of that is that Bielsa's essentially been sacked by a, a bigger picture or as a result of a bigger picture that he has consistently talked about as one of the forces that is destroying Football, which is money, which is what this decision basically comes down to. It's Bielsa's influence and the work he does he's done that means Leeds United is now worth four hundred million pounds more than it was when he arrived. And his consistent point of view has always been that that gap that um, all the, the broadcast money creates is is what is destroying football and has essentially now cost him his job because of the risk of that £400 million being wiped off the club again. He's been saying a lot um, over the last couple of seasons that the solution is that you invest much more time and money and resources in grassroots football and you develop in every country and every league so many brilliant footballers. Just teach as many people as you can to play brilliant football so that there are supply and demand for footballers reduces the transfer market cost, reduces wages, reduces the need for everybody to make much more money and also improves the product because every division is full of brilliant footballers. You can have, you can have four divisions full of absolutely fantastic football to watch if you just train enough footballers so that there are so many that the clubs can't possibly even give them all jobs. And it sounds idealistic and uh, romantic, but it's not really. It's not that long ago that Leeds were in Division 2 and we could sign Vinnie Jones, which was like, the you know, it's like signing Paul Pogba for Division 2, the levels we were talking about. And then Tony Curry in the 1970s, who was the best player Leeds had because his wife wanted to move back to um, London. He moved to QPR. He were in Division 2 and it didn't matter because the standard in Division 2 was actually not very different from the standard in Division 1. And you would still get big crowds at Loftus Road because... People weren't watching the Champions League on television. They would, they would go to the ground and see a really good game of football played by 22 really good players. 
the problem is that we know that the championship is absolute garbage and that that's the reason why it doesn't make anywhere near the broadcast money that the Premier League does. But he has been saying consistently that the solution to football's problems is to close all those gaps in quality. And, you know, if the um, championship is closer in quality to the Premier League, it has more money in it. And then being relegated is not shame. And it doesn't absolutely cause a catastrophe in the value of your football club anymore. It just means you're playing in a different league next season. And yeah. you still you still get huge crowds because the football is still good. You still get big broadcast income because people still want to watch it on television. And all those things he's been talking about when it comes to this point where Leeds are at risk of going down again, those are the things that then cut him off and mean that he can't work anymore. But his his idealism, and that is it is an idealistic vision, has bumped up against reality. And the reality is we just cannot afford to go down. And that's a, it's a sad fact, isn't it? When you've got a character who holds such lofty ideals and the the grubby commercialism of, of being in the Premier League. But that's and what you, we you are. And against the person actually making that decision and having to go, well, am I willing to risk, you know, hundreds yeah. of millions of pounds on this? And, and and we're feeling, it's a sentimental ideal, isn't it? And that, unfortunately, doesn't pay the bills in the Premier League, does but it? But it also pushes it into a position where you've got the person who has hundreds of millions of pounds on the line is sacking somebody who knows much, much more about mm. football than he does to sort out the football. But it's always been that way in football. Exactly, and it's... Always. Um, so even in the days that you're talking about, we've always had idiots in boardrooms. Yeah, exactly. But it's um, that doesn't mean it's a good thing. No, no. But I'm not sure the game's for changing in the way that you, you possibly want. Anyway, let's talk about Marsh, because that is why we're here. So what, what do you think of him? Because we don't know a huge amount about him. We know a bit. I, I've got no real opinion on him at the minute. All I know is from looking through his Twitter. I, found like, <laughs> I feel like I discovered a conspiracy when I saw, I looked about five pictures back and there he was with Brendan Aronson holding the trophy. It's like discovering a, a message from an ex or something. And you're like, that's why she was that guy. Ah, makes sense now. <laughs> the whole thing is, the whole thing is added up. Um, I mean, obviously I've read probably the same articles that everyone has and watched a lot of YouTube videos with him and stuff. And do you know what? I, I can, I, he seems like quite a sensible appointment in, an awful lot of ways in terms of the playing style. His record was really good, um, admittedly with like a the Erling Haaland cheat code that he had he had going for a while in, in Salzburg. But it, his reputation and his record was really good until he got to Leipzig and it, it seemed like they were a bit of a crossroads uh, at the point he arrived and it didn't really work. But equally, you could, if we're saying, you know, Bielsa should have had more time, he didn't have an awful lot of time at, at Leipzig either. He was, uh, he was in and out the door within a few months. So, I mean, and that was set against a tactical clash versus, uh, was it Nagelsmann who was before him? Um, and then his, his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer as well. So there's extenuating circumstances at home and you're following on from a guy who played in a different way to you. So do we need to be too worried about what happened there? Because he seems to be highly rated within the game and Victor Ross has obviously picked him out and said, this is the guy. The way he presents the end at Leipzig as well is that he was as much in favour of leaving as they were of him going. It was just kind of a general, quite mature decision all around that, I'm the wrong coach for these players. We've tried it and it's not working. So I'll just stop, get somebody who is more, who is better suited to them. I think that shouldn't be an issue at Leeds because he seems very suited to the style of play that we already have in that he's all about pressing and pressing zonally, marking zonally instead of... Ball, uh, ball orientated pressing, Moscow. Yes, you will hear him. Um, he does talk about playing whip ball and against ball, mm. which is... Um, like hecky. Yes, um, there are elements. There are actually, this is not to disparage him 
at all, but there are Heckingbottom elements in this, in that Heckingbottom, when he arrived, was up-and-coming coach, great reputation, plays good football, you know, he's the future of the way that the game is going, which... He may, I mean, I haven't checked on Sheffield United lately, but he may even They're be... They're doing quite well. Yeah, he's pulling it back around and <laughs> yeah. he had that reputation at Barnsley, great with working at, at young players. And that was all the reasons why he was brought in at Leeds and why it seemed like a good idea. And all those things are going for Jesse Marsh as well. Where it's like, you know, he's a, what is he? He's, he's 48 or something, so he's like 20 years younger than um, Marcelo Bielsa. He's had the training in the uh, the fizzy drinks world for for years. They've you know he's got all the modern ideas. He's been in Germany. He's you know all the stuff. Gegenpress, there's a word for you. Mm. And he's got all the acronyms. He's got his own S A R D as his, and that's got German words in it. And it's all um, I can't remember exactly what it stands for, but it's it's all sprinting his ass. Then the next one is bring uh, your friends all in. But yep. he's also got the German one, and then there's um, second press. That's the last bit, isn't it? Yeah, um, then it's going all the way in. I think it's like some, like, some angry German word, but it's about not, it's like, that is basically what Daniel James does every time he gets booked for breaking a goalkeeper, is go all the way in, don't stop and try to block. So that stuff is a fit. And then the other side of him is a change where Bielsa, we know, is standoffish, a bit aloof. Those words always feel quite mean when you set them against the kind of the gestures we know that he has made to the players. I, I don't know. You know, it's very Bielsa that you will kind of not speak to a player. To Let's say he doesn't speak to Calvin Phillips every day, but then when he gets called up for England, he goes and finds the most precious object he has, an old Newell's shirt. You know, he only played three or four games since he's not got many, and presents that to him as a gift. That's how Bielsa works. Marsh is much more... It's well at Salzburg, and I don't know if he still does this, but they started every training session by getting the whole squad in a circle and hugging. It's a, it's a big. He's he's got Gary Monk elements as well. There's a lot about the group. Um, he talks about at Leipzig how the leadership council had a two-hour meeting at the training centre, and he asks them what do they like, what don't they like, what do they want to do, what do they feel about the, what kind of training do they want to do. He's very much about empowering the players. Your problems are my problems, was one of the, the lines <laughs> that jumps out on me. Yeah, and I, I really, and I think he's quite fortunate in that sense that he is empowering players now because, and so Stuart Dallas will be part of that leadership group, the, the leadership council now undoubtedly, and will probably have a lot of sensible things to say if you went to him in 2018 and asked him what to do. I don't think he would have been uh, the... the the person to necessarily be empowering with what to do there. So the maybe that's a, an indication of what has changed under Bielsa. It's a little bit like the journey from Pontus Janssen, where Pontus Janssen was the big lightning rod that we needed to rally around and change the club. That, but then when Bielsa came in, he became less of a useful voice. And then we needed Bielsa to come in and take all these players and basically give them who they are now. And now he's a less useful voice and now Marsh can come along and benefit from that and you can say to Liam Cooper what kind of training do you want to do because you know I mean I don't want to be disrespectful to Liam Cooper but I think if you'd asked him you know when he's two years out of Chesterfield what kind of training do you want to do at a Premier League football club that's you know going to take us forward but I don't know like five aside yeah <laughs> blood at, bloke at Chesterfield used, used to do a thing with uh, he put some cones out you know, it's, it's it's tattoos for all the lads. So it's a we're in a very different. Um, mm. He's going to create a very different environment at Thorpe Arch. It which, strikes you more as carrot rather than stick. 
Yeah, and especially there was one that I, one of his um, stories I wasn't particularly sure about. Is that he makes sure the players know when he's letting them do something they want to do that he doesn't agree with. He gave the example of like training times. They wanted to train at a certain time. So he said, all right, I think you should be training at 10 o'clock, but I'm going to let you train at 11 o'clock and, and then they'll pay me back for this. And it all seems a little bit obvious in some ways, but it's a change from what they've been used to. And so... That's what I meant about the different the different voice sometimes, you know, and maybe just a different environment because like you said, Bielsa is that standoffish kind of authoritarian figure with like, this, this incredible humanity underneath it all as well. It's um, like any management style, though, isn't it? It just requires the people around it to buy into it. If on yeah. day one of training, you've got Luke Ayling and Stuart Dallas talking to each other, being like, "Yeah, this guy, what the fuck's this?" We'll be also back. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If if, but if if equally, there's a good feeling. Everyone's like, "Oh, it's nice to have." I've had half an hour knocked off that training. I feel mm. like my hamstrings might not break when I, you know. Although the, a plate in the dishwasher now. It's, uh, yeah, his, yeah. Uh, his other work at Leipzig was to hit players in the face with increased <laughs> physical intensity. He, he Literally? In pre like hitting the person in the face? That was the metaphor he used. Oh, right. I thought um, you meant like, like with fists. <laughs> he was talking about how at Leipzig, who, you know, a top Bundesliga club that had been under Nagelsmann for two years, he, um, and he had been the assistant there before um, that, that he took them to a level of physical intensity in training and in the gym that they had never encountered before. He was like, these are my levels. And that's one of the things where um, this kind of goes back to a little bit of the, uh, whether to keep Bielsa or not, he's kind of, he's he's not going to be able to use that. So he's immediately got one tool that he, that he has used previously that he can't bring to this job. He cannot go into Thorpe Arch and say, right, <laughs> you've been doing murder ball twice a week all winter. We're going to do it three times a week now because you're not intense enough. So he's kind of, that's... If, do you think that's to his advantage though? That, that they are so physically primed? Oh, they? yeah. Yeah, there's two ways. Like it should, it'll be like a flow. It should flow. Like he'll be able to use what they've already got to put his ideas. He can just go straight to the, the football. But it is also like if you've got a set of, if you've got five things that you do when you go into a football club and, you know, one of them is sign players, one of them is increase the physical intensity, and you can't do those things because it's Marsh and it's March and he is Marsh <laughs> and they're already incredibly fit. You're immediately two things down on a list mm. of things you can change. And when you're trying to change, it's it's going to be one of the things he has to, to deal with. And it's why it's, yeah, it's one of the things that weighs up as to whether change mm. was the right thing to do. Because of the circumstances in which he's taken the job, he, as Moscow said, he basically doesn't have the, the usual excuses, does he? Because he he's taken it knowing that this is this is what he's coming into. And so... Generally speaking, you'll get a, a Conte approach to someone saying, this whole club's a fucking mess. I need to change every player here. No one's fit. He doesn't have that. He has, yeah. he has to go, well, yep, they are fit. And I knew I couldn't buy anyone until summer. So if it goes wrong, and he's, he took he took the job when he shouldn't have done. He's not, got the, uh, he's not got the staff either. And I think that's mm. a, a thing. It seems to have um, Cameron Toshak coming, who is John Toshak's son, although his dad is just is now in intensive care apparently with with COVID. So whether that's a, a good time, but that seems to be one of Jesse Marsh's mentors is Bob Bradley, who going back to when they were at Princeton, the university, and uh, then Bob Bradley has had him by his side often. And Toshak and Bradley crossover at Swansea, uh, Cameron Toshak was under 23's coach at, at Swansea at the time. So I'm, it, I mean, we don't know how it's, it's coming together, but whether Marsh has said, I've got this job, do you know anybody? in England that I should employ. Like, yeah, go get Cameron Toshak, he'll help you. 
So there's kind of that, that rush of trying to get a gang together that can actually mm. do something because it's worth about adding the situation they're in. The background to that as well is that a lot of the coaching staff are kind of within the Red Bull network, aren't they? And they stay there like club to club so the yeah, head coach can come in. So it's not like, like Bielsa has got a team of people that will, at the drop of a hat, go with him and they all ship in and they all ship out together. You can't, you kind of move around the clubs and you work with what's there. And Lots the system that Bielsa has, has left behind as well means that it's also somewhat unique for us in that, I mean, he has dozens of people working for him, doesn't he, one way or another. And that all goes on the same day. Generally speaking, like, you know, George Graham left, but David O'Leary is still there. Mm. Or you get, you know, Redders is always there to, to pick up the pieces as someone leaves. That, it doesn't really happen with Bielsa, does it? There's, no. there's kind of the, there's a very distinct line drawn with the under twenty three setup and the under eighteen setup. But th- as far as the first team coaching picture goes, they're all just gone, aren't they? But this, but this leads yeah. it leads you into the question of of how complex training is, and this is the stuff that we don't understand. You know, being on the outside of the bubble, we kind of we can only speculate, can't we? About we know Bielsa's training and methods are incredibly data driven and analytical to the point of being ridiculous. We've laughed so many times, you know, about the the video analysis and the team of people who will just do analysis for him around the world because he asks them mm. to like the, the disciples of Bielsa they call them don't they and that maybe they they pull back on that I mean there still will be data analysts at, at Leeds but I don't know you, you get the sense that at this moment when you fall back on the comments of what Radrazani said about something being broken that maybe it does just need to be simplified and everybody just takes it back to basics and this is why you footballers this is why you enjoy it it's that different voice it's that different method and he's there on the training ground himself just saying look Let's just do what we we know as footballers and start to enjoy it again because you get the sense that the joy had gone out of it. I would maybe caution against imagining that Bielsa's training was too complicated because I think one of his signatures and one of the things that marks him out is being able to take all of that information and we saw it in the room for the Spygate press conference where he pointed to all the stacks of notebooks is that all that gets distilled down to, in training, a lot of it is practical exercises so he says right in the last game we conceded from a corner and they took a corner like this so we're going to train that we'll do 15 minutes defending that corner and I'll show you how to do it and then also distilling all that information into something that he can just tell the players simply and the we know he has those pre-match meetings with them individually in like 10 minutes so it's taking the man hours or person hours of all that work and then being able to say to a player, all this stuff that's come in, one, two, three. This is the video do on that. WhatsApp or whatever, yeah, because they do that, don't they? They, they yeah. all did um, send them little videos. This is what you need to watch out for, this, 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 and this. Yeah, so I think there's so much of that analysis that he did will never have gone to the players. He does it for them, and his team do it for them, and then they give them the bullet points that they need to go out and, and play. I think it with uh, it's kind of... But the you know you're right about the the change of voice and and that things in in principle I think there is a I've seen it before there's kind of there is an, also an economic part of that where you talk about how you can't just sack a player and what a different game football <laughs> would be and the reason you can't sack a player is because they have transfer value and we know that from uh, Kurzuma for example can you imagine if a if a manager filmed himself kicking a cat across a room you just sack him you'd pay him off and you'd go because if another club takes him on, they're not going to sell him and get £30 million. Whereas Kurt Zuma, if they sack him, then Spurs will just go, oh, we'll have him. And then he'll either win something for them or they'll sell him for £30 million. And it's probably the £30 million that's yeah. a more important aspect of it. And it's it's a thing about football that we've, we've built it that way that, you know, a manager has five bad games and you sack them 
because they don't have any transfer value. But if a player has five bad games, you sack the manager because what you then do is you try and con another team into buying them off. You're like, you know who's great? You should come, give us 10 million quid. He's amazing. Yeah, don't look at those five bad matches. And that kind of disparity is something that's just generated by the economic realities of, of football. But we should either change it so that players have no transfer value or managers have a transfer value and then they're not sacked so easily. There's a weird double standard applied to it as well, isn't there? Because you get a manager has five bad games and they've they've kind of they've lost it and they're not they're never going to be good again. Rafinha has five bad yeah. games. And everyone's like he's still worth hundred million quid. It's I mean, fine. There has been a weird uh, development across the the season. I know we're going off topic from Marsh a little bit, but um, with the way that the season's gone, and we talk about how enthralled we are as a fan base to Bielsa, and that's absolutely true. But there was also an increased number of people saying that Rafinha deserves a better club and Calvin Phillips deserves a better club. And if we don't do X and Y, they might want to leave. And my feeling about that was, well, fuck them, if that's the case. You know, if if Rafinha thinks the, the club isn't good enough for him, well, he can fix it by playing better. But because we're so used to just sacking managers, it all funnels back. So it's Bielsa's fault that the club is not somewhere that Rafinha might want to be. And that seems backwards. And there's also, and this was my first, my thoughts as I walked away from the, the Spurs game after sitting in the West Stand for about three quarters of an hour watching Bielsa doing all these um, interviews, is that I was really angry with Stuart Dallas in particular because I just thought he was terrible in that match. And I was thinking, how can you be so bad when so much has been done for you? And Northampton had tweeted during the week, they showed, do you remember this goal, Stuart Dallas? Not even a good goal, he scuffs the ball in. And I think that's where you were. And then what's happened? Why aren't you doing better? Simple things in this game, not even the open goal was one thing, but Sessegnon got behind him at a free kick. He just let him go five yard, 10 yard start on a free kick because he just wasn't watching him. It's like, you. it's not that difficult. If man-to-man marking, just watch the player. And if he runs, stop him. So I was annoyed with him and lots lots of the other players. And I was annoyed that it was Adam Forshaw who came out to do the interview because he's been doing them all week, but not anywhere near as much as Bielsa had been doing. And it's only it's only ever managers that get the scrutiny and somehow players are protected. Bielsa, over the week, after Scum, Liverpool, Spurs, has been saying the same things over and over again. The physical output says the players are giving me everything that they've got, but I understand if they're losing faith because we're not getting the results. And he keeps getting asked, do the players still believe in you? And that's all he can say. Nobody ever asks the players, do you still believe in the manager? Because if you do that, press office, that's, you can't ask a player that. That's not that's not right. And nobody ever sits a player down for an hour in front of the press and says, what happened here? What happened here? It's actually it's something that happens... You know, maybe the 49ers can bring this over from NFL after the the Super Bowl when their, um, I can't remember his name, but one of their players went for an easy catch that would have won the game and he dropped it. And he's out at a press conference afterwards and they're saying, what happened? Why did you drop the ball then? And he talks them through it because he's used to it. And it used to be in the, uh, it's moved to a press conference environment. It used to be that reporters in the NFL could just go in the locker room after a game. There's lean against the locker room. What happened in that game? Do you want to talk me through this play in detail? in a way that we only ever ask managers in uh, English football and football in general about that when they don't have the answers. I mean, he can't, Bielsa cannot 
sit there after a game and say, why did Urente do a step over in the penalty area for Spurs' second goal? I've watched that so many times. It's pathetic. And we never take the opportunity of just putting Urente down in a chair as you would have done with this, with <laughs> play, this guy. Playing him down full stop. And just saying, why didn't you block him? What happened? And, as, and it means that then footballers, it doesn't help them either because they just come across now as thick, entitled, ignorant people who don't care about what happens. Whereas I'm sure if you actually did sit down, um, Diego, you ran to said, what happened there? Well, I thought this was happening. This happened. And I, I, I didn't see this. But it always just comes down to what we'll do is because the team has lost, the manager will have to sit there for half an hour and we'll just ask him all these questions that he can't possibly answer because he either has to get inside the heads of footballers and tell us what they're thinking, which would also involve throwing them under the bus and which he can't do anyway. And then at the end of it, they just say, well, we'll just have to sack you then, won't we? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What represents something good from the Leicester game at the weekend. What do we need to see? Do we need to win? Do we need to draw? Do we just need to see a better performance? I think a point would be more than enough for everybody in this. It's interesting to play Leicester actually because it feels like for a couple of years now with the well, the club owners have kind of had, we've got Bielsa, he's brilliant, we're going to do the Leicester model and pretty rapidly the Leicester model looks shit because they're only a few points ahead of us and we're getting relegated. And Bielsa's gone, and it's like, mm, okay. So what's the next? What's the next plan here? I think not being two goals down within half an hour would represent some sort of a success. It feels like we're losing games. I know Man United they scored towards the end of the first half, didn't they? But it feels like we're losing games very early at the moment, and have been for a while. Like we're not giving ourselves any chance in games. You know, when you go when you go a couple down, there's too much to do. So keeping it somewhat tight and being just being involved in a game with. 20 minutes to go, I think would would, would represent a, an improvement on what we've seen in recent weeks with the obvious caveat that you're doing it against Leicester who are a million miles worse than Liverpool and well, Spurs aren't even any good but they are, the, the league table shows that you know, yeah. Scum and Spurs and Liverpool are, are much better sides. 
it's interesting, isn't it? The first chance against Spurs was ours, one out strikes, mm-hmm. header, like that far wide. And it's not to, I don't think it would have changed the result at all. But if you go through the Spurs game, I know this isn't about you asked about Leicester, but I don't think. <laughs> um, strikes header, Ailing's header. Oh, there were chances. Cock, Rafinha hit, hit the post. Rafinha hit the post. Cock hit the post. Should have had a pen. Rafinha, uh, yes, should have had a pen. Stuart Dallas, open goal. That's six. And I think, you know, if we'd scored one of them, you'd have cocked uh, one. It didn't just hit the post. It came out and it hit Loris, slow Loris. And instead of going in the net, it went to safety. And that's where we got to. And anything back to Rodrigo's two brilliant efforts against Everton that hit the bar. And I'm not saying that those would have changed history. What I'm saying is that when... When you are a team in trouble, those things don't work for you. And you could, and that was the pain. I'm sure if we'd scored, if Cox had gone in, Spurs would just gone and scored two anyway. If, we, if we'd scored all six chances, we would have lost 12-6 <laughs> instead of 4-0. So I don't, I, I'm not suggesting it would have changed history, but it was a sign of, I remember watching us getting relegated in the Premier League last time and from the Championship as well, that when things are going against you, they really go against you like if you're on, if you're a good team playing well on on form, for some reason, Cock doesn't have to change the way he hits that ball, but it goes in, and it's just one of those undefinable mysteries of of football. It's um, one of the, it's one of the beautiful things, even though it hurts quite often when you're on the wrong end of it, isn't it? Like that Rafinha one at the end, even though we were four down at that point or whatever it was, yeah, that that just great ab- free kick, absolutely. Larry saw it was going miles wide. He just <laughs> he did the. I'm leaving that. Oh no, he's nearly gone in. It absolutely, that was the game in a nutshell. Mm. That one. Mm. Um, so and it'd be nice. To, it would be nice just to see a slight turn in fortune, wouldn't it? Yeah, and maybe that comes from confidence. So if that's what Marsh has to offer, of like instilling confidence in the players and you know reducing the stress, then hopefully that can help those things by whatever magical alchemical thing it is. Thing it is. Um, the Leicester game and sort of looking forward beyond that as well because I don't really know what to expect from the, the Leicester game but I feel one of the things that changes with Bielsa going is I would not have applauded and been happy if we'd gone down with Bielsa but at least we would have had something else alongside relegation that was us it, there would have been another meaning there now with Marsh it's pure football and he's got no choice but to keep us in the Premier League and if he doesn't I won't care about him. <laughs> with Bielsa, you would have had the, there's something extra that he provides. It wouldn't have been good going down with him, under him, because of him. But the, there was something else there that I think we all, um, well, not everybody, but most people felt and understand. Now we're just in a world where coach comes in and they either win games or they don't. And if they don't win games, they're a failure and the board are idiots. And it's that simple from now on. And that feels like a shame. And it's also, we're in a world where, we're in a world where this morning, um, I've not looked at the full details of this, but apparently the Referees Association have issued a full apology to Frank Lampard for the uh, for the, the inappropriate way they've been refereeing his games lately. Um, they've phoned him. Have uh, they said it like they mean it though, or does Frank need an additional apology? Mike Riley has phoned up Frank Lampard and Bill Kenwright to give them a full personal apology. Wow. So I'm glad that penalty didn't get given, by the way. Just for the record. I didn't even think it was. I thought, well, shirt line is the line, isn't it? And it hit him partly on the shirt, so I'm fine with that. Yeah, it didn't, really, didn't seem like it matters. It's certainly, it's not something that there needs to be public apologies for. And that's something Bielsa would we'd have got an FA, for. We'd have got an FA charge. Yeah. <laughs> but we're, we're now, we're into that world, and we're also into the world where, um, I can't remember where I, I, I picked this up, but Marsh, somebody, it was somebody saying it about him, 
that he regards himself now as a Premier League coach and that if we do get relegated, he won't be hanging around because, well, it's an open question whether he, whether he will or not of like, well, you know, I was in the Champions League a while ago, so I can't be managing you well, in the, in the Championship. Well, imagine he should bloody well stick around and do his job. Well, exactly. But if you remember where we were when Marcelo Bielsa came, 15th in the Championship, there is absolutely no way in the world that Jesse Marsh would take over Leeds United 15th in the Championship. It would have been beneath him. And that's something that we've we've lost as well, is we're now onto this different world, this different cycle where the kind of the defense against cynicism and the against the defense against your own worst instincts is kind of gone now because I wouldn't have um, been outside Marcelo Bielsa's little terrace house in Weatherby battering down his windows if we'd been relegated. I'm not saying we're going to do that to Jesse Marsh if we get relegated, but let's put it this way. Nobody's going to be taking in biscuits, are they? <laughs> Nobody's going to be going around this house, his house and leaving soup on the doorstep in a pandemic. It's just kind of that reason, that extra reason to care beyond football is not something that he claims to provide. He's, he's all about doing it within the training centre and he does, he is a cultural tourist. He tries to learn about the places where he goes to and I'm sure he'll fit in and you know, he'll, be, he'll be nice and perfectly acceptable. But it, it, he is purely football results now. It's all he's here to do. And if that's all people want from a, a football club, that's fine. But then I don't understand why people don't just kind of you know, well, check, check teletext at 5.45. got to say, on a personal level, though, he seems all right. Oh, he, he seems absolutely like, fine. But to, to go back to, to talking about Lampard, like there are many, many things that when you when you think about Lampard, you think, what an absolute fucking entitled baby of a man. Yeah. I'm exactly the same age as Frank Lampard. And I, I look at him and say, and see somebody who I would have nothing in common with. I would have really disliked him. Well, I'm going him. to write a letter to the, to the referees then. And then yeah. they'll have to say sorry, won't There's they? nothing it's in common like, with him. Just fucking don't. And that when he was complaining about it as well, because the VAR was Chris Kavanagh, he was like, this is on Chris. I'm calling Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Show some respect. Yeah. I think Jesse also has to, it, the one thing on his personality is that, which he has addressed, is the American <laughs> thing, which we've not even talked about. But don't care. It, it will be a problem for a lot of people though, because people... People associate that accent with... Where's Ted Lasso, isn't it? That's, I was that's say, the immediate... I was going to say, that's what everyone talks about, and, yeah. it, and people don't think of it as a football accent, weirdly. If he's saying the exact same things with a, a French accent or a Spanish accent, people are probably more like, oh, okay, I kind of like this guy, but because it's strange that he looks really American as well, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. he's got, like, a... He looks like he's in really good shape, and he's, like... You can, you can imagine him as a... He looks like he's grown up around sunshine, which a lot of us in Yorkshire haven't. Mm, yeah, yeah, he just looks like... He looks kind of like the American dream, which is... Yeah. Which, that's someone's you, tweeted, stupid, sexy Jesse. You want, which made me laugh. you want to resist all those stereotypes, but then you look at him and listen to him and look at his, you know, his Princeton background mm. and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, he does actually tick a lot of those preconceived boxes, but, it, you, you know, we shouldn't judge him on those things whatsoever. And you seem, you know, it's, it's less about whether he's a nice guy or not. It's that all I care for, about from him is the football better be good and we better win whereas you know Bielsa provided something additional to that that I think really brought out a lot of things that were good about Leeds United and made us better fans like yeah. and it's kind of it is lots of people have been amazed and commenting on it the fact that you know you ship 20 goals in a week no it was in 14 a in a week and right. 20 in a month 20 in a month yeah the shortest month as well 5 a week and then ev <laughs> but everybody then goes and you know cries and wants to shake his hand and goes and like hangs out outside the, the, the training ground to say goodbye to him and all that stuff which if if 
Jesse Marsh or anybody else who comes in after him, which is the other things that now that, you know, we're starting to think who will come after him, whereas after yeah. Bielsa was just a void, which is a sign of how we're returning to reality. If they start shipping 14 goals in a week, they don't have, there's no other reason to accept it. There's no other reason to think that there's some value still being gained from this person. We can hound him presence. out like the bastard that he is. This is it. It's back to the hounding <laughs> days. And, you know, you look at the the way that the, we said right at the start about the, the loss of, of goodwill and um, we haven't even touched on the the board really through this and kind of the, the rumours of, you know, there's been a lot of talk flying around, like, is this the 49ers decision? And, you know, uh, Pete Lowey flew in, was there at the Tottenham game, hasn't said a word to anybody and he's just, I assume he's gone away again, but there was enough of all that thing. Well, this has come from and Heathen Marsh is American. And this is all an American decision. But it's been really interesting how then uh, Radrizzani came out and did his uh, his little two angled hostage video, and then there's the the photo of them lining up with Marsh, and then in the statement, uh, Radrizzani is saying this is the toughest decision I have had to take in my time, and. If it is the 49ers' decision, then I don't know why Radrizzani is out there making himself 100% the fall guy for it. And even if it is... I suspect a, that's ego, though, Moscow. And, and even if it is a shared decision, why is the 56% owner taking 100% ownership of it unless he wants to assert himself as the owner over the 44% part owners and be out there in front of this taking all the, the flack, but then also... If it works, I mean, I will still think it's a bad decision, so I won't. I will not be going back to him and going, "Well done." But the thing that the thing that suggests it's ego is the the tweet. It's it's there's meaning within that tweet that he sent about having invested time, money, and money came first, didn't it? I think out of the three, it was money, time, and emotion in running this club. I think he feels desperately underappreciated. I don't, I don't think he understands. I think his ego is too fragile to understand that this is what happens when you're on a football club you're basically considered a twat most of the time <laughs> unless you deliver something that everybody universally approves of, like Bielsa and promotion from the championship. But you can destroy it in an instant. Yeah, and I, I wrote about this over the weekend about how um, Don Revy, after Harry Reynolds resigned from the board and then uh, later died, who was the person who kind of backed him from the start uh, on, the, on the board at least, he was the chairman for a long time. The other members of the board always felt like their employee... Don Revy was taking all the credits and it was their money that was paying for all this, even though he never basically asked him for a transfer fee. Um, it was Alan Clark and that was about it. That, you know, this guy Revy, he's just taking all the credit and any manager could do what he was doing. So why is he so popular? And that was always constant friction. And one of the reasons why Revy was often on the verge of leaving was he just didn't like working with the people who were on the board. Then he went and the board ignored his advice or rejected his advice to just give the job to John Giles and they went for Brian Clough, their choice, who spent more money in six weeks on transfers than Revy had spent in 12 years and after 44 days was gone and made them all look like the idiots, the football idiots that actually they were. And realising what Revy was doing for them came too late. And with Bielsa, I kind of put, he's, you know, he's difficult, he's awkward, he wants so many things at the training ground but he's defended the board from the very beginning even the other week saying could you assign some places it's and he was saying it was incredible that we tried to sign brendan aronson for 20 million when they've already spent so much money nobody no manager ever says that about board 
And all Roderick Zani and the other owners really had to do for the last few years is listen to a football genius and go, yeah, all right, we'll give you that, we'll give you that, we'll give you that. And as well as like in January, they must have had Marcelo, what can we do for you? Do you want players? Do you want this? Do you want this? And all the time it said, no, I'm fine. Because the way he sees the job is he is here to work for you. His conception of Leeds is a club that has given him everything he could possibly ask for to succeed. And he's not doing it. So it's his responsibility. So he's not going to go to the board and say, I need some more players in January. These, these aren't enough. It's like, no, you've given me everything I need. I will now help you. And without that, or if it is ego that it's now like, this guy, I mean, I don't know. Just it on seems point, unfair to say it's, it would be purely ego, but I can't discount the idea but, I mean, that they have just gone. Just on the flip, know more than the flip side of that though, Moscow, is that I think there is now, or there were, because he's gone, questions about that judgment, about the possibility of saying no to players in January or reinforcements, even in a slightly more short or medium term approach. Because you know, we spoke about it to death, didn't we, about do we want to bring somebody in? And it just felt like in the same way that they've evidently decided to change the manager. Maybe it is that new voice thing, just something new, just to refresh it all, just to refresh it. And Bielsa probably will, will have gone, no, I'm fine with this and stuck with what he's got. And so many people, I think, felt that we didn't have enough and it was quite evident we didn't have enough. And the, therefore that limited window of opportunity, the window in January was a, ch- a chance to address that and they didn't. So whether that, and that's why when I described it, I can't remember if it was the, it was the match ball, wasn't it? As a systematic failure, maybe it just, all the, the, parts didn't quite fit together anymore in that regard like the Saints would maybe have a couple of extra players and it's he's a tough saying balance, well, isn't it? I don't want that one I don't want that one because we've still got in the relatively recent past the Chilino experience of him yeah. just just signing players yeah just him like literally no consultation with anybody on a football level he was just like this guy I like him you're having him mm. and then managers would often get him and go what the fuck do you want me to do with this? Like, but, but it's about finding, it's like with any situation, though. it's not binary, is it? It's about finding no, exactly. that, that middle but ground. That's, that's, that's when it goes completely wrong the other way, isn't it? Is that, yeah. is that there's no one, There's, I mean, admittedly, Chilino didn't have any sort of director of football structure particularly, did he? He had, no, he had, he had some he, respect to Nicholas Salerno's I was going to say, he had Salerno, and I think he more or less told him what to do half the time, didn't yeah, he? So yeah, it was yeah. it was a dictatorship at, at that point rather than anything else. But I feel like that is, the thing is with the else, it just worked for so long, didn't it? And every time he said anything about football, he was proved to be right on it. So you and just you just well, let yeah. him get on with it. All judgment can be judged. And we judge Bielsa's judgment twice weekly in his press conferences. If Andrea Rodrizzani speaks, it's generally to one of his preferred uh, journalists. It's Dan Rowan always does the interviews with him or somebody at the, um, at the newspapers. I think he, he's got the names that he always goes to. So it's very stage managed. He doesn't. His judgment is never exposed to that scrutiny in the same way. And whose judgment would you take on football? Really, is it the guy who was managing the team or the guy who sacked him? I think Bielsa knows more about football. Hopefully, Marsh knows enough, and I think he does. Like as I said right at the start, I think Marsh will will be a, a good appointment. Um, I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be. And I think he'll keep us up. I think Bielsa probably would have done the same because he's pulled us through situations before, and it seems it's a high price. The circumstances of him being sacked in the middle of the season and all the, the grief and the loss of goodwill and all that is a high price to pay for basically one bad season. And I made the comparison in one of the things I was writing with Liverpool last year without Van Dyke, where they dropped from 99 points to 69 points and finished third. And Van Dyke is back in the team this season 
and they're on course for, if their average points holds up, then they will get enough points that would have won the league last season. I don't know what will happen this one, but he was out, they were bad, he's come back in, they're good. And it seems one season without Phillips and without Bamford has ended, has seems like a, a bad way to end it for that reason, mm. when a bit of nerve and a bit of faith, we could have got to the end of the season, stayed up and said, thanks, we'll, we'll part ways in a, a dignified but, way. But faith, rather than Faith and nerve comes up against a £100 million revenue drop. And that's, well, that's, well, the, that's well, the Liverpool example as well, because yeah. they go from being a team that won the league, which is a sporting thing, which is what their fans want, is to win the league. It's what they've wanted for 20 odd years. They did it, but for, from a boardroom level, it's an economic thing. Finishing third the next year probably doesn't make it doesn't change their plans. They don't have to rip mm. everything up, do they? On, yeah. on finishing third, but it still it still comes down to faith and nerve because it's mm. faith in Jesse Jesse Marsh. Yeah, you're going to struggle with this forever. Yeah, Steve. It's Steve. Really difficult. It's faith in Marsh and hoping that he will hold his nerve. Mm. So it's still faith and nerve. So it's the same, and we'll never know. I mean, even Bielsa was saying that over the last few weeks it's always the things you don't do are the best things to do so if Marsh takes us down Bielsa would have kept us up Bielsa would have kept us up and what a genius <laughs> um, and if Marsh keeps us up then Bielsa would have taken us down but I think he of course would've, he wouldn't uh, kept us up and I think um, so in the end I think um, just seems like a lot of energy expended and we'll, we'll work out in, in the end long term whether the the gain was worth the loss of the things that are apart from merely staying in the Premier League that we were probably going to do anyway. And I suspect that whatever the official tributes that the people who sacked Marcelo Bielsa are planning for him... <laughs> Don't do that. Will, um, will, he will maybe invite ask, them to... Maybe ask the fans. That. Ask the fans. Um, I think if the fans do something or wanted to do something or offered something, I think he would accept it the way he has things from... Newell's, where he resigned from Newell's. So the fact that they then named the stadium after him and then um, that he then paid for their training centre, um, I think that has a lot to do with it. The fact that he would he made the choice... NFTs. ...to leave. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the series of Marcelo Bielsa. Uh, this NFTs, uh, where you've got to buy special Bielsa tokens to get them. I mean, there's been talk of like... Um, That's what a disruptor does. Doing like a And game. we are disruptors now, aren't we, Andrea? Talk of like a summer friendly between Leeds and Newell's and inviting him as the guest of honour. He's not going to come. That's what yeah. I suggested. It's a great idea. He's not going to come. <laughs> It'll never happen, but He will absolutely not come. If it was playing in his garden, he wouldn't come. If, <laughs> you, if you said that there was going to be like a, a five-a-side match on a, a, you know, a playing field in Wortley and it had been organised fans against fans, he'd probably come halfway <laughs> across the world and he'd turn up to that and he'd, he'd buy everybody um, beer at the end of it. But um, something like that is just not not him at all. He's gone. I think he's gone and he's gone. He's gone. Uh, going just means he's gone. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, that's maybe an, an advantage. We're not going to have him, you know... Um, like Ferguson stinking the place out. I was going to say, like Steve <laughs> Evans, he's not going to be on there going like, well, but Jesse Marsh, he's American, isn't he? What does he know about uh, Milmore? And we're not going to get any of that from him. He will just, uh, yeah, gone. Yeah. Best, um, best years of your lives and then just didn't win enough football games. Uh, sad thing, isn't it? That's the sad thing is that it's been it has been so joyful, and it's the, it is the best football I've ever seen. And I include the Champions League era in that because football's evolved so much in those twenty years. It's stuff we've talked about before, you know, the style that there was a lot of kick and rush stuff. Uh, even because uh, we watched the four three as the example, we always fall back on against Liverpool, and the football wasn't great, was it? There's a lot of just whacking it further forward. Matt Viduka was great. Yeah, the rest of it. 
Not so the football, much. the standard yeah. of football wasn't good. Um, we were brilliant in the Champions League era, but this has consistently been the best football I've ever seen. And at that time, Bielsa had Argentina playing how we we play now. Well, it has been a ride, hasn't it? And um, it has been amazing, and it has come to an end. And I guess all we can do now is we kick on from here and hope that we stay up. So, oh, so Jesse, Jesse. Jesse, 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 Marsh. It's too soon. It's too soon. Uh, it'll be interesting to see actually with the songs whether he gets a, a nice well. He will get obviously get polite yeah, applause. Uh, you uh, apparently, I think uh, Salzburg gave him some USA. So he's yeah. a bit, I mean, he's not the whole country, is he? Yeah, but they're not even a real club, are they? They've, no. they've stolen football clubs. But he so loves it. That. I mean, that's one of the things I, I don't like about him is he described himself uh, as a company man, as a company mm. man that he's yeah. fully Red Bull. So we need to uh, get some bar soda. Down his neck, well, a boost to the official club energy drink sponsor, so he needs to get on needs to get on board with that more. I think the, that comes down to the American thing, though, as well. I think because I can accept him being a company man for Red Bull, growing up where he did, playing in the league he did, all that sort of stuff, because it doesn't have the same culture. Like it feels like, and I know there are obviously differences in it, but it feels like Argentina and and England have got certain similarities in the yeah. way that we support our teams and the history of them, and the fact that you know there's you're playing in these slightly crumbling old stadiums quite often and the fans are going absolutely mental there and it, it, it that doesn't happen in America some of the, I mean, some of the there's the kind of fight and win video that does does the rounds of America and it's it, some of it's just absolutely tragic to watch some of it and it's and that's kind of where he's from so yeah. that side of it will take a bit of understanding he seems I think he'll understand he will understand it he seems mm. very willing to learn um, about wherever he works you know learn German and learn Austrian and learn the differences between them and learn all the, the cultural signifiers of where he's working. Don't and, they speak German in Austria? It's different. <laughs> um, and he learned, and I don't know why it's different, but he made sure he, he knows all the... Dialects. All, the, all the reasons and, and learn the history of the club. But that's the thing. He will he'll learn about it, whereas Bielsa here enhanced it. You know, we're not going to... We you know, we sold loads of T-shirts with Leeds Carajo on... We're not going to get anything from the culture that uh, Marsh brings <laughs> go, with go him. T- go team t-shirts available now. Exactly. It's um, So he can't do those things. We shouldn't expect him to do the things no. that, that... But that maybe, maybe, that's what I mean maybe that's good though. It's just football. It'll be good in a way because it does just mean... Um, it's the complete antithesis of Bielsa in many it's ways. It's just football. Well, that's what I was saying before is we're just going to be judging him on did the team win? And I don't know if... Um, I mean, we had years and years and years of that and then Bielsa came along and he showed us a different way of doing it and it was absolutely fucking incredible. Yeah, but imagine if they put Corbyn in and they were trying to sort of emulate exactly the same model and the same style and it wouldn't have been as good because it's not Bielsa and that would have probably been harder in many ways than a shift in terms... I mean, the, the football's not a huge shift, but in terms of the, the culture of the of the manager that's implementing it. I think it was always going to be difficult and there was always going to be that sort of change... But then that's sort of why doing it at the end of February, out of the blue, in a panic, seems uh, that's why I put it down as a bad decision because we we can't adapt, we can't prepare, we can't. We'll see, won't we? Just yeah. If we win every game we do now in the next season, it'll be great. But it's still going to feel like we lost something. Yeah, and that's fine as well. It is fine. I think part of the loss aspect of it is absolutely legitimate, completely and utterly legitimate. Even though people from the outside might not understand it. 
I started wrapping this up, I think, about 20 minutes ago. <laughs> I think the, you can just talk about Bale, so forever, but can't you? It's, it's been a fascinating, w- mm-hmm. sort of just picking on, a, uh, pulling on a few threads. We've and, not even talked about what Jesse's going to do for the team, have we? No, like, but we don't know, do what we? What does he do with Tyler Roberts? Play him. <laughs> I think, it, doesn't he have two up front in some of his, uh, yeah, some yeah. of his styles? We don't have many strikers, so... Mm-hmm. Seems to be a 4-2-3-1 four, a four, or this 4 2 2 2 2 2 2 2 It's going to be uh, Tyler and Dan James up front together. <laughs> Rodrigo tucked in behind and we're all booing him off against Villa on Thursday. Amazing. I mean, it could, it could also be great. Like, I'm serious about how I think he can get us playing good football and kind of develop from where we are into something different that will still be exciting to watch. Um, and maybe, we, you know, we won't concede five goals every game and the, 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 the switch from uh, man marking to zonal marking and pressing the ball instead of pressing players and all the kind of stuff. Sounds great, and if we get some, I mean, the thing if he's going to play two holding midfielders, I don't know who they are at the moment because we haven't got Calvin Phillips. Is it going to be Stroik and Cock? And then we have Urente and Charlie Creswell in defence. So personnel wise, it's interesting. Which is going back to sort of why not sack him in January and buy some players? But then next season, assuming we stay up, you know, Brendan Aronson, his little buddy from Salzburg, can come and um, be a big part of it, and we we finally get the midfielders who. Maybe Bielsa has been resisting all this time and I think that's the, the the thing I would not like to happen is if we were suddenly brilliant against Leicester, that idea of everyone going, well, just Bielsa didn't know what the fuck he was doing, did he? And I mean, well, I think three and a half years shows that he definitely did, but different things can work as well. It's like, you know, Mick McCarthy played a lot of winning football in his time. Mm. Yeah, well, we will miss him, but onward, I guess, from this point, even if it is reluctantly. <laughs> that's football, isn't it? Onward to setting up Google alerts for Marcelo Bielsa to see what he's doing next. <laughs> I reckon he'll just go to ground now. And he'll, he'll go to his ranch and uh, have a nice time. He can't retire though, can he? No, of course not. He'll, he'll, do, he'll do something. He'll still be. He'll still be watching. He'll be watching our games. Is yeah. what he'll be doing most likely. Sending analysis through to Marsh. He won't, he won't be able to resist. He'll be <laughs> yeah. on. His, he'll be on his laptop somewhere watching a game. The Argentinian season is just beginning at the moment, and Newell's the last couple of years have been flopping around all over. They had uh, Fernando Gamboa. It was one of his. Um, uh, former heroes of his of Bielsa's Newell's team was in charge for a while last year. They got somebody else at the moment, um, but because the season is beginning, I would imagine. I mean, this is me imagining a future for Bielsa. But I think it's um, put his feet up, rest, uh, remind himself what his wife and children look like, and then if Newell's haven't got any better, then it's there for him, isn't it? Come on, this is your last job um, at age sixty six. I mean, he's still what ten years younger than Roy Hodgson. Probably, I don't know if he's kept himself in his good nick. I suppose he went on his uh, his training regime over the summer, isn't he? So you'd hope he's, he's fighting fit and ready to do another another job. But Newell's have been wanting him to go back for years. I hope he does. That's the thing. I, like now he's left us and there's no going back. I want him to go back there. There was a petition being started at uh, Ajax. They want him. Oh, really? Yes. They say, right. can we start a petition now so that when our uh, uh, current manager goes... He can come in because he would be absolutely <laughs> perfect for us. And it's, um, there was certainly, there was none of that when uh, Steve Evans got the boot, was there? <laughs> and well, listen, we'll return to the, the regular format next week. It hasn't felt right to do it this week, has it? Like heroes and villains would have just been trite bollocks. So we did. And no one, no one needed to hear Scousers and Cockneys either. No, hey. we'll, we'll, and we'll stick out some, um, some propaganda, but it's just going to be a little, not us talking, just hearing clips of people saying nice stuff about Bielsa. And some of it's bloody emotional, isn't it? You've had a bit of a cry listening to some of it. It's been bloody awful, to be, to yeah. be perfectly honest. Put a tweet out asking for people to send in messages thinking we'll get, I don't know, 20, 
25, 30 of about a minute each. And some of them are kind of incredibly moving five minute monologues of how Bielsa has changed people's lives and it's helped them deal with grief. And it's, it's been absolutely horrible. I've been listening yeah. to, I've been an absolute pit listening to them the last few days, but at the same time, it's been, it's been brilliant. And it's, and it's, 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 well, it's amazing it? to know what, yeah. find out some of the small things that, that he did for people as well. And that's, and that's the beautiful thing from here is all those stories will start to come out now of the, the way that like, for example, with us on the, the summer specials, the promotion specials that we sent him, we never said anything about that just because it, it didn't feel right to, um, but now he's gone. We can sort of say, this is something that he did because he really kind of appreciated having a, this living um, document, this, this book, book a zine as it is to be able to show people and say, this is a record of what I did there. And it's just really nice, isn't it, to think that he cared about that and cared about it enough to show other people. And we came this close to meeting him, didn't we? We did, yeah. So close. We got to Thorpe Arch and we he wasn't there. Got and then called, the... He got called away for a meeting, didn't he, at Ellen Road, ironically enough. And then there was another lockdown and I don't think any of us wanted to bother him again, did we? We could have probably pushed to rearrange it, but I yeah. think it was like, ah, let's just leave him to get on with his I would job. Have, I would have only gone, oh, I'm to be Elsa. <laughs> I'm just picturing you. people now, like knocking on Jesse. Jesse, I can't say it. it's awful. On Jay Marsh's door, looking forward to three years of this with a uh, with like a sick animal or something, and just slamming the door in the face. I'm a I'm a soccer coach. <laughs> Get away from here! Not a veterinarian. <laughs> what are you leaving soup here for? I got a chef. <laughs> right, we will wrap it up there. Thank you for joining us on this. We will see you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. 